Welcome back, listeners. I'm Kerry, here again with Rob. Hello, everybody. Uh, we're back again with more piracy. And uh, you know what, Kerry? I think we're going to have to do a boat trip soon just to prove how committed mm. we are. Yeah. To the research. So if any listeners have a pirate ship sitting idle in the garage, please do let us know. Mm-hmm. Reach out at theCelticTalesChronicles at gmail.com. Yeah. Okay, so with that, we're going to hop on to the story. Yay! So today we're talking about Anne Bonny, sometimes known as Anne Fulford. She was an Irish pirate operating in the Caribbean, or Caribbean, depending on where you're from, and one of the few female pirates in recorded history. But before we begin, we do need to do a correction, Rab. We do. So um, now a listener sent us an email about the Captain Pugwash controversy from episode one. And it turns out I was completely wrong about Master Bates, okay? Not Master Bates in general, but in this particular character, mm. Master Bates. Um, apparently a pair of comedians, Victor Lewis Smith and Paul Sparks, made up the Master Bates rumour in the 1970s. In fact, the character was Master Mates. Ah. Uh-huh. And the guy who created the show was so pissed off he took the Guardian newspaper to court over its coverage of the controversy and he won an apology and a settlement. So just to clarify, there was no Master Bates. And sincere apologies to John Ryan, the cartoonist who created Captain Pogwash. Please don't sue us. We don't have any money. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. You could give us the money you go up to Guardian if you want, and then anyway. So, uh, now, but here's a curious thing. I was, and I am, and I remain to the end of my life, a great fan of Captain Pugwash, mm. okay? and the cartoon and the, the comic. And I do absolutely remember a character called Master Bates. All right? Yeah. So is it just me? Have I developed a strange obsession with a particular name and or bodily function? What's going on? What's going on? Or could this whole masturbates thing, memory, be an example of the Mandela effect? Okay, Mandela effect. Okay, um, all right. Uh, I'm a bit confused. I know Mm -hmm. a Mandela... It's a kind of pattern that you look at to help you go into a trance or meditate. I think it's an Eastern religion thing. It helps you put aside this world and engage with the spiritual world. So, I'm not sure what that's got to do with Captain Pugwash and Master Bates. So, they're actually two totally different things. We're talking about okay. Mandala and Mandela. Oh. So, it's really weird that they both deal with alternate realities. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm still confused, and I'm also worried that we're about to disappear down a rabbit hole here. Fair enough. Just to explain quickly. Quickly. The Mandela effect was coined by Fiona Broom to refer to a situation when lots of people absolutely believe something happened that did not. She believed that Nelson Mandela had died in prison in the 1980s. She absolutely remembered his death and discovered that a lot of people also remember his death. But he actually lived until 2013. So the Mandela effect is a ah. mass misremembering. Whoa. Okay. All right. So this pair of comics, hmm. missing, they're messing around with Pugwash. They create this 
kind of alternate reality, reality. basically. And they're creating a Mandela effect because I do now remember Master Bates. That's weird and a little scary as yeah. well. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy how easily you can misremember something and then tell someone that. And then before you know it, you have a whole load of people who thought Nelson Mandela died in prison, but he actually lived until oh. 2013. So we'll put a link in the episode notes about the Mandela effect. Yeah. But a lot, and another Mandela effect is yeah. the fact that myself included, people call it the Mandela effect. Yeah. Because they think it's to do with the, you know, pattern. Yeah. Like the butterfly effect. Type yeah. Thing. Yeah. It's really interesting. Fuck. Yeah. I'm just gonna say, all right, I I am going to get a, a dive into that. Um, because. All right. Do you know what? Just going to try and pull us back to the subject. But I mean, <laughs> it is important. I mean, that whole memory versus reality. This is one of the things mm. that I, I, I teach when I'm te- I, I teach storytelling. It's really important. It's really important when we're discussing pirates as well. Because we, we don't actually know for sure what their lives were like. We don't have a time machine or anything. Yeah. And a lot of it comes from interpretations and oral retellings and folklore and dodgy histories passed down over the centuries yeah this is so true for pirates especially in the case of anne bonnie the irish pirate who lived and died in the caribbean all right but there must be some facts we know for sure there is one definite fact there is a record of her being captured in 1720 Mm -hmm. and we know what happened to captured pirates they were put on trial and executed by hanging in fact, between 1710 and 1726, a staggering 500 pirates were executed. Fuck. Okay. That's a pretty appalling ending. That's the thing. We don't actually know if it was her end. We know she was captured, but the record stops there. Yeah. So we do know that she was very young, perhaps oh. in her early 20s when she was brought to trial, which oh. is crazy. That's crazy. I mean, and we also know... I mean, those courts, they were not in any way impartial venues. No. No. Um, They were known as vice-admiralty courts, and the idea was they were there to help keep the Caribbean functioning properly for the benefit of the full imperial system. And, uh, yeah, they were part of the British imperial system, and they originally arose spontaneously to settle local trade disputes award prizes for the capture of enemy ships during work times of war, and of course to deal with pirates. And the officials of these courts were not paid, and the positions were filled by local men who had their own local agendas, mostly maintaining the economic benefits of slavery, which was legal, and smuggling, which was technically illegal. Yeah, so I imagine there'd be a lot of incompetence, corruption, and indifference to the finer points of the legal system. Worse than that, it was all local men. They all knew each other, everybody knew each other, and they all had a vested interest in destroying the independent economy of the pirates. Right. So they were in their own pockets. Yeah. You know what? I'm getting, I'm just getting the goal with big tent at the races when <laughs> yeah. Ireland's politicians used to just take money from business folk and that was done a long time ago. So oh, it's brown envelopes. Brown, so this is this is an extreme example of something that still goes on. So, and again, just speaking locally because everybody and everybody listening in every part of the world 
deal no aversion of this but particularly this moment in time there's a very real chance that Anne Bonny in court for her life mm. actually knew some of her accusers a young woman on trial by a bunch of old corrupt slave owning men men who owned oh, people for fuck's sake yeah shit I can only imagine what she was thinking as she stood before them it would have been terrifying yeah. So I've prepared a little something from Anne's point of view. Okay. So imagine the backdrop of an old-fashioned jail cell. In the clink, at last. These ridiculous landlubbers think they can contain me. Looking down on me for being a pirate. Ha! I've seen riches and lands their tiny minds couldn't fathom. And lived lives far beyond their comprehension. These men are happy to buy goods from smugglers when it suits them, only to strike us down at a later date. Hypocrites. I look at these men and see ghosts of my father. Like him, they see free folk like me as a danger. And they'd be right. Mark my words. If I cannot return to the sea, there will be hell to pay. For I am more than just a woman. First, I am a pirate. Whoa, gun yourself, <laughs> Anne. Whoa, yeah, yeah, fucking right. Um, brilliant. Thanks, Kay. That yeah, that's just. I really got possessed by I, the spirit I got of the pirate you. there. Yeah, and oh, thank you. Okay, now, obviously though, there's a lot more to Anne than her capture and trial. Mm. So let's kind of we'll look at that as well. Oh yeah, there's a lot of adventure and passion and romance. But we do need to remember the Mandela effect. What is real and what has become real because people believe it. Yeah. It's Yeah, it's interesting. So let's talk about some other sources. Okay. Maybe a bit of information we do have on our life. Well, it comes largely from Captain Charles Johnson's 1724 book, A General History of Pirates. And this is the 1724 book. It was published in Britain. Its author uses the name Captain Charles Johnson. And he's generally considered a pen name for one of London's writer-publishers. So Anne Bonny and her fellow pirate Mary Reed are both profiled in volume one of this book. The book gives an almost mythical status to the more colourful characters. Even though it's very likely that the author heavily utilised artistic licence in his accounts of pirate conversations, it's still touted as a primary resource on many of these pirates. Yeah, and I can see that, because, I mean, it's not as if he's writing 100 years later. He's writing in the moment. At the time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, he's taking things that are there, and he's just doing that kind of, what do you call purple journalism or something, but, yeah. I mean, and, and also, there's also other details, and, I mean, the book contains the name of the pirate flag, the Jolly Roger, and shows the skull and bones design. And, I mean, nowadays, it's, it's, it's viewed mm. as a modern-day pirate Bible. It's so mad that someone wrote a book and heavily made it up and this is so <laughs> responsible for the modern day interpretations of pirates like yeah. the tiktok pirate cosplayers pirate flags for kids birthdays and even pirates of the caribbean films would not look the way they look or have happened the way they did without this book it's so influential yeah i got a quote here you know quite interesting it's from english naval historian david Cordingley, and a quote it's been said and there seems no reason to question this, that Captain Johnson created the modern conception of pirates. 
And I'm just going to say, I think that's just incredible that in the moment mm. that it's actually happening, he's creating the modern version of it. It's just, I, that's, again, I don't know what effect that is, but it's quite wild, yeah. I wonder how much of history is just misremembered because one person's account of it is the only one we have. It's so yeah. interesting. Like, yeah. So first appearing in Charles Rivington's shop in London, this book sold so well that by 1726 an enlarged fourth edition had appeared. This book was trendy at the time because stories of pirates and exotic landscapes were selling extremely well. Yeah. And then much later you have Scottish novelists Robert Louis Stevenson. He wrote Treasure Island, one of my favourite books. Mm. And G.M. Barry, he was the author of Peter Pan, featuring Captain Hook, we all know. And and they're both recorded as stating that Johnson's general history of pirates was a massive influence on their work. And for good reason too. Blackbeard, Calico Jack and more are all chronicled in this book. And Johnson also introduced the classic features of pirates, such as missing eyes or legs into the public consciousness. And buried treasure. Don't forget that. Oh, yes. It's mad. Uh, Johnson also stated that a Welsh pirate, Bartholomew Roberts, in June 1721, and an English pirate, Francis Spriggs, in December 1723, had both named their flag Jolly Roger. So that's where you get the name for the flag. So he stated that as an absolute fact. And the book was released in two volumes. The first mostly deals with 18th century pirates while Volume 2 records the exploits of their predecessors a few decades earlier. In the first volume, the author sticks fairly close to the available sources, but does embellish somewhat. You have to make it interesting. Ah, for God's sake, of course you do. Yeah, yeah, have fun with it. And I'm sure the poor man, he's got, he's got, he's got wains to feed and rent to pay. You've got to make the money somehow. That's it. So, um, but saying that, again... He was writing in the moment. Um, so, and even nowadays, nowadays, there has been a wealth of research in the pirate world that Annie Bonnie lived in. And uh, yeah, we'll be using that to help flesh out our story as well. And yeah, if you're looking for those sources, definitely check out the episode notes. Yeah. Uh, we didn't make this stuff up. No, <laughs> no, somebody else did. Somebody else did. <laughs> so anyway, that's all cleared up. Let's tell... And story. Yes. So Bonnie was born in Ireland around 1700 and moved to London and then to the province of Carolina when she was about 10 years old. So before this move that would define her adult life, what was her childhood like, Rob? She was said to be born in old, in old excuse me, she was said to be born in old head of Kinsale in County Cork, Ireland with a head of flaming red hair Ooh. like Maka the goddess of That's war. It. She was, she was the result of an affair between the servant woman, Mary Brennan, and her employer, William Cormack, who was a lawyer. Cormack's sick wife had moved to her mother-in-law's home a few miles away to be cared for, because, God forbid, Kerry, a man should take care of his, of his invalid wife. Oh, God yeah, forbid. God, the poor man. So instead of caring for his wife, Cormack shagged Mary Brennan or Mary Brennan shagged him whatever they had nothing who's to say so so although Anne was therefore illegitimate Cormac presented her as his legitimate child note the use of child here not daughter mm -hmm. 
When Cormac first moved to London to get away from his wife's family, he began dressing Anne as a boy and calling her Andy. When Cormac's wife discovered William had not only taken in his illegitimate daughter, but was also bringing the child up to be a lawyer's clerk and dressing her as a boy, she stopped giving him his allowance. Hold on. Okay, hold on. So the invalid wife, Mm -hmm. just to clarify, was giving an allowance to a husband who was shagging the maid, then raising their child as a boy. Okay, I'm just clarifying that. Yes. Okay. So this wife was either a saint or her illness had affected her brain or she was blissfully unaware. Either way, eventually she copped on and moved on. Yeah. As she should. What a dick. <laughs> dick is just doesn't do the doesn't, one Doesn't, yeah. 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 So um, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn different languages now. I'm learning Spanish. Mm. And I'm, I've actually learned a lot of curse phrases in Spanish. I was trying them today and I was told, don't try them in company or online. So there you go. So there I you can, go. Good to know. So dick is, I've learned Spanish versions of that, but I'm not going to say them. Just so you we'll know. keep them to ourselves. We'll keep them to ourselves. So anyway, Cormac, I get distracted there. So she's moving on. Cormac has to move on mm. as well. And he moved. And where else for a dodgy dickhead in the early 18th century? But moved to the province of Carolina, where the economy was beginning to rely increasingly on slavery. Now, there will be people... I said that very aggressive. No. <laughs> yeah. Now, there will be people out there who know the details of Carolina history better than us, but it seems that at this time there were indentured people who signed up for a limited time to work for nothing, but then when their contract was finished, they were free to get on with establishing themselves in the colony. Yeah, a lot poorer people took this option, including both European and African people. At the same time, however, there were enslaved people who were exclusively African. And they had no rights. So at the time of this story, slavery, that is the enslavement of African and African descended people, was becoming more embedded in society and more brutally applied. Mm. And as slavery became ever more important to the local and imperial economy, the space for non-enslaved black people shrank and became very fragile. Yeah. So Cormac went to North Carolina taking along Anne and her mother, Mary Brennan. At first, the family had a tough enough time getting starting out, but then Cormac attempted... At first, the family had a tough enough start. Cormac attempted to establish himself as a lawyer in Charlestown. Eventually, after a few false starts, his knowledge of the law and ability to buy and sell goods meant he could afford a townhouse and eventually a plantation just outside the town, which meant... He owned human beings. Despicable is just not even the word. Enslaved people formed such a huge part of people's so-called wealth at this time. And it's just sickening to think he's coming up in the world. So he buys some people. Yeah. (laughs) So Bonnie's mother died when she was 12. And then we have a pretty big blank section in the Anne Bonnie story, unfortunately. So any guesses as to what she was up to, Rob? Do you know what? 10 years old. 1700s, I'm just going to say drinking, mm. fighting, mm. smoking, mm. and generally being the very image of a modern young lady. Sounds about right for a pirate to be. Absolutely. 
Can I tell you a wee story? Yeah. Sure. So no, keep yeah. yeah. That's that. Um, so when I was wee in Glasgow, the mammies used to drop all the brains <coughs> off to the cinema on a Saturday, so the mammies could do whatever mammies do on a Saturday. Sure. Best not to ask. And so, <laughs> cinema, and used to show all these kind of black and white reels from the 1930s of Bob mm. Rogers, and then it was a really cheesy B movie, and it was fantastic. But in the middle of the, the, a break, and a woman would walk around with a, a little box, a little thing, she'd walk around selling sweets, yeah, yeah. sweets, ice cream, and cigarettes. Oh my God! And some of the older, like, teenage Wayne's would be buying their cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen ads from... Yeah. Back in the day, where they're like, smoking is good for you. Ask your doctor what cigarettes he recommends. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God. It is so, just so funny to yeah, think yeah, yeah. that. Because I remember when the smoking ban yeah. came in. Like, I remember being in pubs when I was very small. Yeah. And it being smoky and terrible. Yeah. And then I remember, obviously, I was with, with my parents. I wasn't yeah. in pubs by myself yeah. when I was like five. And then the smoking ban came in in 2004. Yeah. when I was eight so oh. I actually remember what it was like before and after and yeah. oh my god it is so nice that people don't smoke inside anymore well do you know what Ur Anne she smoked and she I'm just did. going to let her do it have fun she's on her. a boat she's a pirate she can do what she wants yeah go for it so moving on a few years we know that Anne married a poor sailor and small town pirate named James Bonney can I just jump in there for a minute yeah just even before she gets to the marrying thing I heard that she had a quick temper, oh, even as yes, a child, yes. and that she actually stabbed a servant girl when she was 13. Do you know it's hard being a 13-year-old girl? <laughs> I'm not saying she should have done it, but it is difficult, and it was probably even more difficult back then. Do you know what? We'll just give it to her as well, okay. And yeah. you know what? Maybe that, maybe she, the servant girl was given as good as she's got, maybe they were both stabbing each other. We do not know. But anyway, I interrupt you there. She's now getting married. What was the guy's name she was marrying? James Bonney. So that's where the name Anne Bonney comes from. All right, okay. So after being disowned by her father, Anne and James moved to, now I want to say this right, Nassau, I think. Sounds good to me. On New Providence Island in the Bahamas. Cool. So nice and sunny. Yeah. Factor 50. Yeah. Sometime between 1714 and 1718. So there is a story. Uh Uh-huh. Emphasis on story. After yeah. being disowned, Anne set fire to her father's plantation for revenge, but there are no factual recordings of this. So, sounds like something she would do. It definitely. But who's to say? Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, it's one of these things. Official records and contemporary letters dealing with her life are scarce, and as you said, a lot of it comes from a general history of the pirates, mm. which is partially accurate, but also greatly embellished. So it is pretty hard to know what did actually happen. But while the story of her burning her father's plantation may be apocryphal, it does touch on a very real truth in the story of pirates in the Caribbean. Because many pirates were black, most of whom who had fled slavery on plantations. Yeah, so can it make sense that any story of piracy and the freedom of being a pirate it would also carry that kind of anti-plantation message in it as well. And if, as it is very likely, Anne did know enslaved people as a child, it would have been very liberating to meet black people who, as pirates, were the absolute equals of the rest of their pirate crew. Yeah, and uh, there's a great... I mean, we discussed this in um, episode mm. two, go and listen to that there, but there's a great uh, online article 
called A Living Interest in Connections Between Piracy and Slavery You Didn't Hear From Your Teacher. And uh, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. We can put a, a reference in the episode notes. But there's a lot of interesting facts in there as well. And there is one interesting fact from the article that we're going to share today. Yeah. So 300 years before the 1964 Civil Rights Act in the USA, which guaranteed the right to vote, black men already had the vote on pirate ships. Quote, they elected their captain and they voted on a strict code of crime and punishment as well as how they treated each other. Some ships even established reimbursement for pirates killed or injured in their roles. When plundered treasure was divided, it was divvied up and allotted to the person's role on the ship, not race. End quote. Yeah. So, and black pirates, they covered all roles in the ship, from cabin boys right up to captains. Now, unfortunately, this does not necessarily mean that pirates were anti-slavery. Yeah. Again, this is all about how we want to remember them. There is a Guardian article that does examine this, which we'll put in the episode notes. Yeah, so you can go and have a wee look at these things yourself. And while we can strongly argue that ethnicity was not an issue among pirates, gender was, according to Wikipedia... There's links in the footnotes. Absolutely. Women were prohibited from becoming pirates. Women were seen as bringing bad luck and a, post, a possible source of friction among the male crew. Makes sense that they'd all be fighting over the women. <laughs> Unfortunately. But when women did become pirates, apparently disguised as men... Yeah. So there are scores of known women pirates who might, who not even might, who probably definitely are a fraction of the actual number. And honestly, pirates are not stupid. I'm pretty sure the lads could tell if the shipmate was actually a shipmate S. I'm going to say, I think the absence of a willy might have been a clue. <laughs> and the fact that some of your shipmates were giving birth, mm -hmm. again, a not too subtle crew, crew, it's <laughs> a Freudian slip, clue. Yeah that they were women. And of course we know today that gender and genitals are two mm -hmm. entirely separate things. Yep. But back then most people did not have that distinction. Yeah. Anyway, moving on, Nassau. Yeah, Nassau. Was Nassau. also, na, uh, was, used to say. you say potato, I say tomato, <laughs> whatever. Uh, Nassau was also known as a sanctuary for English pirates and it was called the Republic of Pirates. And it's kind of interesting. It was possible for pirates to receive a king's pardon wow. if they focused on only attacking Spanish ships. Unfortunately, pirates just could not resist mm. any ship, including British ships. Pirates, many of whom had escaped slavery or forced impressment in the British Navy or other backgrounds, they were notoriously indifferent to the British imperial nationalism. Yes, there's a great description of pirate culture in an article called Towards a General Theory of Piracy by Shannon Lee Doddy and Joe Bonney. Joe Bonney? I Any like relation? It. Yeah. In Anthropological Quarterly, which is worth quoting at length. Quote, This short-lived culture was characterised by an anti-nationalism that expressed resentment against English impressment, but also a tendency to expressly reject central authority and even religion. Yeah. So pirates did not give a fuck for God, king yes. and empire. They were also completely indifferent to wealth and commerce. Again, to quote that article, which there'll be a link in the footnotes, um, pirates in this period also practiced a pronounced form of bing consumerism, 
in which their personal fortune fluctuated wildly from wealth to poverty. Pirates exerted social pressure upon one another to not only share their gains, but to spend them lavishly in port havens such as Tortuga and Port Royal, on instant gratification such as liquor and prostitution, and on extravagant, <laughs> extravagant consumables such as fancy clothes and jewellery. I got so jealous there, I ran over my words. I yeah, thought, no, I, I love some extravagant consumables. Yeah, do you know what? I'm just, yeah, I could do all that. Um, pirates did not expect to live long, nor did their criminal reputations allow them to settle down and invest in real estate family of the future. So this indifference to patriotism and commerce was clearly a threat to the imperial order, but the baleful influence of pirates was not only affecting the shipping trade, it impacted on shore life as well. And here we should point out the roles women did play in this vibrant counterculture. Yeah. Women bought and passed on pirate booty. They ran the taverns, they provided sex and entertainment, which is actually well-being stuff. They were moneylenders. They were also provided safe houses for pirates. So it should not be surprising that some women made that transition to actually becoming pirates. Which brings us all the way back to Anne and James Bonney and Nassau. So, what did the two lovebirds get up to there, Kerry? Unfortunately now, Rab, it was not all roses and kittens with mittens or whoever that song goes. Okay. James Bonney became an informant for the governor. Boo! Boo! And caused many of his peers to get arrested. Boo! Anne did not like the fact that her husband was a snitch. After all, as we know... Snitches get stitches! Exactly. Okay, so one trip to the Bahamas later... (laughs) (laughs) I love this. Get you. What a life. What a life, yeah. And Anne was chatting up a storm with her fellow pirates at the taverns there. One fellow she chatted to more than most... And that was John Calico Jack Rackham. He became her lover and offered her husband money to divorce Anne so they could be together properly. Her husband, of course, said no and threatened Rackham. What a dick! What a dick! So they did what any young lovers would do and they escaped together. Anne joined Rackham's crew and disguised herself as a man. Only Rackham knew she was a woman until it became clear that another crew member had an interest in Anne, Mary Reed. So essentially, Mary came on to Anne, and Anne was like, here, sorry, I'm actually a woman. And Mary was like, no way, me too. Whoa, how cool is that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So this is another little document thing we have here. A survivor of a pirate attack, Dorothy Thomas, left a description of these ladies, quote, Uh, They wore men's jackets and long trousers and handkerchiefs tied about their heads and each of them had a machete and a pistol in their hands and they cursed and swore at the men. End quote. It would be better if the two ladies had fallen in love, Kerry. Yeah. And had a mutiny and overthrew Rackham. And um, do you know what? I just have a little memory here. If I remember correctly, Rackham was a guy... He was one of those pirates who did have a pardon about to happen mm. if he only stuck to the Spanish boats. Mm. And he was one of those guys that went, fuck it, no. there's a big British ship there, yeah. I'm going for it. And he attacked that. And this was about the, I think that was about the time that he ran off. Anyway, he was not the most um, ah, forward-looking guy. Yeah. Anyway, 
So, so he's got these two women on his boat, and there is speculation that, you know, Anne and Mary were romantically involved. And again, no record exists to prove this as a fact. But honestly, there's a bunch of sweaty humans mm. living a life of adventure under the constant threat of death. They're all going to want the ride at some point. <laughs> so don't tell me there isn't a lot of fucking going on regardless of gender, sexuality, whatever. Yep. You know. You know, we've all been there. You get so horny you'd fuck a plank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speak for yourself, Ross. I'm just saying, you know, I've heard. I've heard. You've tired. heard. Yeah. Anyhow. Moving on, <laughs> Mary Reed and Rackham were the only ones who knew Anne was a woman until she was visibly pregnant. So Rackham landed her in Cuba, she popped out a baby and headed straight back to sea with her man. And I couldn't find a record of what happened to the baby, unfortunately. Oh we can imagine. Mm. Put a foster home, adopted by a lord, lived in a life of fortune, there you go. So... I mean, the point is, there could be people in Cuba descended from pirates. Um, actually, there are people in Cuba descended from pirates. I don't even know about it. And if there are any of our listeners, I'm just going to mm-hmm. say this, have a pirate lineage, let us know. Our email box is open for business. Anyway, as well as shagging, the pirate life involved a lot of fighting, drinking, and flaunting bling. They attacked Spanish ships, other pirate ships, English ships, Slave ships, their mammy's ship, mm. any fucking ship going. They even sometimes attacked coastal towns. But sadly, as we know, a pirate's life is short. So Bonnie was named in a Wanted Pirates circular published in the Boston newsletter. She was captured with Mary Reed and Rackham in October 1720. All three were sentenced to death. But Bonnie and Reed had their executions postponed because both of them were pregnant. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Reed died of a fever in jail in April 1721, which could have been a complication due to her pregnancy. But Bonnie's death was never actually recorded, so we don't know where she ended up. Neither her execution nor her release were ever recorded. Yeah. The Spanish town burial register does list the burial of an Anne Bonnie on 29th December 1733 so that's like 12 years later mm. and Spanish town is the same town in Jamaica where Bonnie was tried in 1720 so who knows she might have lived a little longer we can only hope but if it is the same Anne Bonnie it does mean she died in her 30s which is still a pretty short life or maybe she faked her own death duh, duh, duh. That's what I'm going to say. You know what? She faked her own death. She went and found Mary Reed's baby, who was now a teenager. Took him to find some pirate treasure. Lived happily ever after. That sounds like a great ending. Yeah. Even though we don't know the factual ending of Anne's story. I just gave it to you. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) True. Even though we just found out the ending of Anne's story, she's still widely remembered and represented in pop culture even today. Everywhere from Netflix docuseries to bodice ripper novels to video games. And most of these representations are not biographical, but rather perpetuate the myth of a beautiful pirate queen sailing the high seas. A full list of these representations of Anne can be found on her Wikipedia page, 
and I discussed these in the previous episode, the audio of our season two launch at the Galway City Library. Which was packed out. Oh my God, we were beating fans off with sticks. It was crazy. Yeah. I think that's us. Yeah. That's that's the story and I hope you've enjoyed it. There's, yeah, that's all. And it's, I'm just going to say, can I say it? Yo ho ho, it's a pirate life for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, please reach out to myself at the Kerry Graham on Twitter and Instagram or Rab at Celtic Tales Galway on Instagram. Or email us at uh, the Celtic Tales Chronicles at gmail.com. Do you have any news? Do I have any news? Well, you can probably hear it in my voice, guys. I'm a little bit ill at the moment, but I'm going to the cinema this evening to see the new Mean Girls movie. Which is a musical, which I just found out. So I'm very excited. Oh. That's my news. Do you know, I'm, I might be going to the cinema tonight as well. Oh. But I don't know. I might not be. I, I've got a lot of, uh, I'm, having, I'm very busy just now. Um, I'm doing a lot of writing new work. I've said that before. And also working on storytelling um, workshops that I'm doing as well. I'm teaching storytelling as well. So, and of course, getting ready for the, the Celtic Tales live show. Yes, the very links exciting. Links in the notes as well. That's so, it. Yeah. It'll all be in the notes, guys. Don't It'll worry. all be in the notes. And I'm just going to say, thank you for listening. That was a fun yeah. chat. That was great. Yeah. Well, I'm off to go find a pirate ship. Woohoo! I'll keep you posted. Woo. Okay. I'm going to find a plank. Slan. <laughs> <laughs> Slan. The Celtic Tales Chronicles is written, hosted and produced by Kerry Graham and Rob Fulton. Edited by Rob Fulton. Cover artwork by Kerry Graham. Music by Kevin McLeod.